The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Hi, this is Harry Margolis with the Ask Harry Podcast. We're here to answer your estate planning questions and hear from experts in the field. Now I'm uh, changing gears myself a bit and uh, trying to do some writing for consumers to answer their questions. This is really a lot of the questions I've been answering for over 30 years in my office. Hi, this is David Yaz with the Boston Podcast Network. Today on a special edition of Ask Harry, I interview Harry Margolis about his new book. It's called Getting Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning. Here's my chat with Harry. The name of the book, first of all, it's a great looking book. I wish I could say I've read it already, but you've just you, you've just kindly furnished me with a copy of it. But it's called Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning. And I, I like the three ducks on the, uh, on the cover. <laughs> you've got lovely sort of New England looking ducks. But um, I've got a whole bunch of questions I want to get into, Harry, about this book. But, but just in a general sense, tell us why it, I've, there are tons of books about estate planning. But this is the first one I've seen geared towards baby boomers. What was it about their particular place in the world that motivated you? That's right. There are about 74 million baby boomers in the United States, wow. aged about uh, 55 to 73, which, of course, is a big range. Uh, um, and most of them don't have estate plans. And uh, probably until they got to about now, this this age, it's been okay. They're probably going to be okay. Their their health is probably good, and they're probably going to live. But um, death is inevitable. Uh, sickness is likely the older you get, and it's important for them and for their families that they have a plan in place, whether it's for their incapacity or to um, make sure things happen the way they're supposed to happen when they pass away. And the baby boomers just representing such a huge swath of, you know, humanity in our country now. Of of they 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 if they haven't gotten around to doing the estate plan now, it's high time, right? It's high time, and and typically people do estate plans when they have kids, mm-hmm. and then they don't look at it for thirty years or so, and then right. they get to uh, the retirement years, and then they think, oh, well, now now it's time. And, but then they have a lot of questions, and sometimes these questions get in their way of moving forward. And the purpose of the book is really to empower them so they do move forward and make a plan. Mm-hmm. Now, does everybody need a plan? Because one of the things you hear oftentimes is, you know what, what do I need a plan for? I really don't have that much. And, and uh, for better or worse, a lot of people in the country are kind of like that. It's like, well, I'm, I'm making money. I'm spending money. I don't really have anything. What do I need a plan for? So you, you, everyone needs a plan. And part of the problem, um, you and I are lawyers, mm-hmm. um, is the, the terminology we use. So we talk about estate planning. And uh, when people think about an estate, they think about a mansion and a manicured lawn. And not too many of those have that. And mm-hmm. when they think about estate planning, they're thinking only about what happens when they die. So when lawyers talk about estate, they mean anything you own. Mm-hmm. So that could uh, could be your your fishing boat, your car, your furniture, um, and it's also your IRA and anything you have in savings or investments. And when we talk about estate planning, we are talking about what happens to your stuff when you die, but we're also talking about life. So who's going to make decisions for you when you're not able to do that yourself, whether it's healthcare decisions or financial decisions or legal decisions? Mm. And what happens if you don't have a will? Because I think a lot of people think, well, you know what, 
I'd love to have a, this detailed plan, but let's face it, it's all just if I if I pass away, it's just going to go to my wife anyway. So what's the big deal? That's right. So um, the if you don't have a, a plan, the state has one for you, and mm. uh, and again, there's a legal word for that called uh, called intestacy. And, uh, and basically it says everything goes to your spouse and your closest blood relatives. And if you have an Ozzy and Harriet type uh, uh, marriage with uh, one spouse who you're still married to and uh, two perfect kids, uh, that's fine. But probably few, few, fewer and fewer people fall into that uh, description. Mm -hmm. So people have uh, multiple relationships over, over time. They, uh, they might get married, they might not get married, they may be, have a blended family. Um, and if they don't have, if they're, if they're not in the Ozzy and Harriet uh, arrangement, then the state's plan is not right for them. And this is all more important that they put a plan in place. Right, right. Now, I'm going to come clean, Harry, and tell you that I have an estate plan. But to your point, I drew it up with my then wife, <laughs> um, who is now my friend, who is not my wife anymore. <laughs> uh -huh. And it was around the time when our first son was born and Adrian just turned 21. And, and we, wow. when we have birthday. not, yes, the happy birthday, Adrian, but uh, possible problem. And I mean, I can tell you that the, the hurdles for me revisiting it are not, they're not, there's no sort of hidden secret here. It's, it's kind of life getting in the way. It's kind of putting it off, backburnering it. Are those the type of hurdles that people have, or what? Why do you think people fail to do this? Those are definitely uh, hurdles people have. I mean, it, I mean, the reality is, until you get into your later years, the likelihood is that you're not going to need it anytime soon. Even mm -hmm. though there's the the risk, the smaller risk that you will, which is why you need to do it. Um, but it gets to be backburnered, so it's uh, it's it doesn't seem you don't think you have an immediate need. Um, People are afraid of lawyers, so they don't want to go see a lawyer. They're partly afraid because lawyers overcomplicate things, or they're partly afraid because uh, they don't want to spend the money. So, so th th those are hurdles, and sometimes they're tough decisions to make. Um, and uh, um, so, it's easier to put put it off as well. And um, I'm hoping with the book, and also I have a website called AskHarry.info where I ask questions, mm -hmm. I answer questions that people ask, and. The um, the idea is to give people the information they need, at least to help them get over the hurdles and make it uh, um, make it um, easier, or make, make, get get people over those hurdles to do their plan. And, and uh, on a, on that point, um, people are afraid of lawyers, and there are a lot of um, good online plans now, such as LegalZoom and Willing.com, and mm -hmm. and the financial planner uh, Susie Orman has her own her own system. And I think those are pretty good. They're definitely going to be better if you have a, again, getting back to Ozzie and Harriet, getting that kind of um, family arrangement. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to be as good if you have something more complicated. But my, my bet, and I, I don't have the evidence um, to back this up, mm -hmm. is that a lot of people start doing planning online and they're more comfortable doing it, uh, partly because it's less expensive, partly because they don't have to spend the time going to meet with a, a lawyer. They uh, can do it at night in their pajamas mm. at, on their own schedule. And they don't have to divulge anything. They're only talking to a computer. Um, right. And But my guess is that people get started, 
they come to a question like who's going to be their attorney in fact on a power of attorney, uh, what happens if uh, something happens to them, uh, who's, who's, who's the best person to name your executor, and they stop. Yeah. And don't don't get it done. And again, the idea of the book is to help answer those questions and help people get it done. Yeah, and if you do it online, and you seem to be saying under ideal circumstances it could work, but if there needs to be a change after the fact, if kind of something goes awry or all of a sudden a dispute arises over your finances that wasn't there before, and how could that change? It, I would gather it's... It could be a tricky thing to try to go back and fix something that's been invented online. Um, if you are unsure as to whether you did it right, you're not going to have the same confidence, right? And that's, right. to me, that's why you hire a lawyer. It's, it's, I think of it as an insurance policy. You know, that lawyer is duty bound and licensed by the the state in which he practice he or she practices. So that that's kind of like. To me, it's peace of mind. Does, it, does that make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And of course, uh, the longer the lawyer's been practicing, the more s- situations they've seen right. and grappled with. And so you're less likely to be presenting them with something new. So I think right. that that's important. And, um, and they may give you um, some pushback, which might be a good thing, cause I, 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 based on their experience. So you may want to do something that um, makes sense in your mind and the lawyer, based on their experience, may say, you know, that hasn't always worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a case in point is I had a client who was pissed off at one of her sons mm. and uh, disinherited him, mm-hmm. um, died, and um, and then I then we, I mean, the, the, cl- the classic thing where someone reads the will usually doesn't happen, but in this case, I did have a meeting with the whole family. Yeah. And... Um, gave everyone copies of the estate plan and the son was just shocked. He I didn't mean, know. He, he didn't, didn't know, know he had been disinherited. Right. Wow. His, yeah. his face went white and, yeah. and uh, it happened that this the, the client came in when I was on vacation in August and, uh, and his associate mm-hmm. made the change but um, based on that experience I now discourage clients from disinheriting anyone and mm-hmm. in this case of course she wasn't communicating with them so it right. was even worse because if there he she, I mean she might have had good reasons to be pissed off at him but he didn't know it yeah and um, and um, to have a lawyer counseling you through that would undoubtedly be helpful to at least put the the information in, in front of them and and give them options you know and so mm-hmm. now you say so now if that happened today you would encourage against disinheriting, or I take it at least encourage a conversation. Right, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into some of the terms that, and you mentioned, even if you're going to go the legal Zoom route, these terms are going to pop up. You might not necessarily know what they mean. The durable power of attorney. And I think that's the kind of thing that people think they know what it is, but maybe <laughs> maybe don't. That's that's di- different and apart from the will, right? Right. So yeah, tell me, tell me what uh, what we need to know about the that device, the durable power yeah. of attorney. So th- that's only effective while you're alive. So a durable power of attorney appoints an agent, or sometimes called an attorney in fact, to make legal and financial decisions for you if you're not able to do it. So appoints someone to stand in your shoes, and that's real, really important. One of, in a lot of ways, the most important document you can sign because without it. If you do become incapacitated, people won't have access to your accounts, won't be able to pay your bills, won't be able to make legal decisions for you. 
And sometimes that means they have to go to court and get appointed conservator or guardian and spend a lot of money and time doing that. And it can lead to conflict because if you haven't chosen who you want and say you have three children and they don't get along all the time and Mm -hmm. one of them wants to become your conservator and the other two don't think that's a good idea, now you've got litigation and uh, that's only good for the lawyers. So if you choose, then you've done it. You've you've, uh, made it easier for your family members, often when they're dealing with your illness. Mm -hmm. So not only... Um, without it, not only are they having to go to court and get appointed and uh, deal with that bureaucracy, but that at the same time, they're probably talking to doctors, finding a place for you to live, getting you care, and hopefully holding down their job and taking care of their own kids. Um, so don't add a bur- another burden to them. Just right. uh, sign a power of attorney. And so, and who, who do you, how do you go about appointing that person? So it's What's a, that like? I mean, it's a, it's a form. Um, but I mean, I'm sorry, selecting the yeah. selecting the person. So that, you that's, so that's, you so you want to choose somebody who you trust. Yeah, and uh, and hopefully other people trust if possible, and um, and it can be more than one person. So you can name uh, co attorneys. In fact, mm-hmm. um, the document should say that they can act separately, so they don't um, both always have to sign every document uh, and every check. Um, but having two people can help in terms of transparency because they um, hopefully they'll be talking to each other and again choose yeah. people who will communicate and they'll both have access to accounts and, the, and, you'll, and they'll have coverage for each other if one's out of town uh, when something needs to be done. Um, so it can be one or two. Um, I discourage more than two just because I think it's more complicated with uh, three or more people having to communicate yeah. and uh, keep in touch with each other. Do so you have to be careful that those two people are going to get along? Yeah. So if, yeah. They're not, if, 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 you, if you know they're not going to get along, then right. don't appoint them. Yeah, right, um, right. But hopefully you appoint somebody who will communicate well with others. Because mm-hmm. what we see a lot is that um, the, the person who's appointed may not be doing anything wrong, but may, uh, may, but may do their own thing and not tell other family members what they're doing. And that breeds suspicion, mm-hmm. and um, it may be unfounded suspicion, but that any suspicion can really destroy a family because mm-hmm. uh, one person's suspicious, the other person's resentful of that suspicion, and uh, and it uh, just escalates. So, um, but transparency uh, will often uh, prevent that from happening and, and making sure that the person you appoint knows that they should be transparent and that they'll naturally be transparent is important. And is, it, is that the kind of thing that's important to revisit over time? In other words, you could appoint someone who you know and trust and that person could, um, there could be a change in the circumstance yeah. that you, you could fall out of favor with the person, the person could move overseas, the person could pass away. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, all these documents you should review uh, from time to time. Mm. Now, as we said, most people, while they're busy working, raising a family, don't. And mm. uh, we understand that. But when you get in your later years, in your 60s or 70s, we do encourage people to review their plans every five years or so because mm-hmm. uh, then that can make sure they're up to date with their family situation, with their kids, with who they appointed, and with the laws, because the laws do change. And, I mean, if you go ahead and hire a lawyer, I take it you should hear from that lawyer from time to time, right? You should, but, I mean, you know what the reality is? 
We've, we mm-hmm. send out letters to our clients saying that we haven't heard from you right. in the last five years, in the last 10 years, and we get virtually no response yeah. to those letters. But at so, least you do it, though. I mean, well, you know, so, we, so we don't. Uh, we, we oh, do you stop doing it. Okay. Yeah, we do, we've done it sporadically. <laughs> it yeah, yeah right, but it right. seems yeah, it's, it seems pointless. I mean, we keep up with a lot of other means, and we send out email newsletters, and so hopefully they remember we're there. Right. Um, but we're yeah, not. Yeah, see, even that, I think, it, just a, a reminder that, that you're the lawyer is – to me would be enough to say, hey, you know, um, maybe I should revisit the, you know, who my kids' guardians are or whoever. Like, I haven't looked at that in years, you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. 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 So um, let's talk about the generation of people that, uh, me included, have uh, elderly parents. My mm-hmm. parents are, are getting along just fine. So Good. So, well, but, but the, you know, they're not going to live forever, I don't think. Um, <laughs> so... When that, that that can be a daunting thing, right? Yeah. So, so um, getting care for parents who are aging, and it's not the kind of thing anybody likes to plan for because you don't like to think about the mortality of your parents. So, talk to me about how a lawyer can come in and help that, and and maybe in particular that moment when the elderly person maybe is not competent enough to make those decisions. Yeah. So there's really yeah before and after. So advanced planning it's important to have power of attorney, healthcare proxy, will. Um, I become a, a big proponent of revocable trust. Have all that in place. And let me just say a word about revocable trusts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the number of reasons we like them. One is, though powers of attorney are important, sometimes financial institutions um, push back on them. Mm-hmm. And we think they're violating the law when they do, but uh, who's going to bring a lawsuit against Bank of America or Fidelity? So it, it can make things difficult. They, for whatever reason, are more comfortable with re- revocable trusts. And one of the big advantages of revocable trust is you can name a co-trustee without giving up your own rights. Mm -hmm. So say your parents named you as co-trustee on their trust, then you would have access to the account, you could see what's happening, and if they became incapacitated, you just take over, really, and start paying bills and and taking care of the investments. So it's also important because seniors are the prime victims of scams. Mm -hmm. So everybody's getting phone calls uh, claiming to be from the IRS, uh, saying they, they owe money um, and they're going to be arrested the next day or um, claiming to be from the, a grandchild who's, or a text from, a, from your supposed grandchild who's stranded in Tunisia and needs money right away. Mm. And There was a rash of uh, nursing homes who were became predatory. A lot of those nurse, nursing home cases were nursing homes taking advantage of their uh, residents. You know? hmm, I didn't even I know mean, about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the good ones don't, of course. Yeah. But but, <laughs> right. but just to your point that um, the predators are out there and the elderly are can be easy prey, unfortunately. Right. So um, they can be easy prey. And if they have a child who's on that account with them, um, best through a revocable trust, they can see when something's, something's going wrong, when money is flowing right. out. They might not be able to um, prevent the first incident, but they can prevent something from continuing. Mm-hmm. So that so that's a planning ahead. But uh, when the person does become incapacitated, if that happens, I mean, there are, there are a lot of issues. If you have um, these documents in place, at least a family member can step in pretty easily. Um, but there are a lot of issues that are quasi-legal. Where Where is the person going to live? Mm-hmm. Um, how are they going to get care? Um, how is that care going to be paid for? Is it going to be paid for out-of-pocket? Do they have long-term care insurance? Um, who's going to deal with the long-term care insurance uh, company? And uh, 
or do they need to qualify for MassHealth? Mm-hmm. And MassHealth is, is the Massachusetts Medicaid program, um, and it pays for nursing home care, and in some instances it pays for assisted living care or for home care, and the rules are incredibly complicated. And uh, they shouldn't be, but they are, and, and I guess that a, creates a full employment for elder law attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> so good news for you, but a complicated right. situation for your clients, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we often help people through that process, and it's especially important if, if there's one spouse who's still healthy and hoping to live on the same standard of living at home, and there's a nursing home. The other spouse goes to a nursing home that's cost $15,000 a month. Um, how are you going to secure the financial um, security of and stability of the spouse who's at home? And that's a, a big function of elder law attorneys, one of the things we do. Sure. We were uh, talking about these you know, difficult conversations you have to have around end-of-life planning. And you, Harry, called my attention to this um, project, the con- uh, Conversation Project, and founded by a familiar name around here in Boston, uh, Ellen Goodman, who's... Um, uh, former columnist for the Boston Globe, of course, Pulitzer yep. Prize winner. Yeah, tell me about why that interests you. So, so one of the issues um, is that most people um, have feelings about w- what the end of their life is going to be, but they don't talk about it, mm-hmm. and they don't tell their family members. So, do you want to live at home? Do you want to be? Um, do you want uh, to be kept alive uh, on uh, just in case there's a medical miracle, or the opposite? Uh, do, and uh, do you want to avoid hospitals? Um, do you want hospice care? Do you, how about assisted living? Um, and does, does the money matter? Does it, would you want to go the cheapest route or to spend whatever, whatever, um, whatever costs? Mm-hmm. And th- those are important issues. And you, and one thing is people name a, an agent on a healthcare proxy. And in most cases, the agent doesn't know what the person wants. Mm. in different situations. And so they just substitute their own judgment. They make the decision they would make if they were in in a similar situation. And that might be the same, and it might be different. And so the Conversation Project, which uh, you can uh, Google, and it's online, has a lot of tools to help families have these conversations, to have these discussions, so that when and if a child or other family member needs to step in, they know what the parent or grandparent wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by, by the way, easy to find, the theconversationproject.org if you want to check that out for sure. We've been talking about these difficult conversations that we have about who's going to make the decisions when you're not around. Now, some people choose, I guess, to appoint an executor who's actually not a member of their family, which seems counterintuitive. So t- tell us why people might want to do that. Okay. So most people do appoint a family member because uh, they... Um, they trust them, they want to keep costs down, um, and uh, they want to just keep things in the family. But sometimes, number one, they may not have a family member they trust to, to competently carry this out. Um, so that's one reason you might appoint an, out, an outsider. Or more likely, there may be conflicts among kids. Mm-hmm. And if you appoint one, uh, the others are going to be pissed off and that person's going to have a big burden. And if you appoint more than one, they're going to be fighting over stuff. Mm. So in those cases, if you appoint an outside professional, usually a lawyer, but it could be an accountant or somebody else, then uh, then they'll do the job with hopefully with without all the drama. 
and uh, right. and even though there's a cost to pay them, in the in the end, it may be a lower cost if it avoids litigation or a, a, a big crisis in the family, and if um, and if and and it'll probably move things along a little more quickly because they're just doing the job, not uh, having to deal with everybody's feelings quite as much. Hopefully, they'll be sensitive anyways, but um, but maybe um, not swayed as much. Um, and so, so the cost, ultimate cost, may not be um, as high or so much higher than than having a family member uh, fill that role. So those are um, real reasons. Of course, some people don't have a family member to appoint, and then they have to appoint a, a, a professional. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ask Harry podcast. Just as a reminder, Get Your Ducks in a Row is the book, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, written by attorney Harry Margolis, who we're chatting with. Find that on Amazon. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcast. And for more about Harry and to ask questions directly to the expert himself, go to askharry.info. Thanks for listening. 